Welcome to the Yanagita Podcast Show, episode 25. Dang, guys. Thank you guys for being with us on this episode. We got two guests today. We got Serene and we got Alan. And uh, we're going to be doing a different type of podcast. We're going to be doing a book reading slash review of, uh, it's called Leadership Strategy and Tactics by Jocko Willink. It's this little green book over here. We'll make it pop up like right here, Serene. Boom. Thank you. <laughs> Good. So <clears throat> if you guys don't know Jocko Willink, he's a New York Times bestselling author, Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL commander. Um, does a whole bunch of different consulting and does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I had to throw that in there. So we're going to start with uh, page 19. And so just from his military background, he goes a lot into leadership strategies. So here we go. I'm going to start reading. This is page 19, second platoon, arrogance and humility. All right. Quote, once you finish your first deployment as a new guy, you aren't a new guy anymore. As you are assigned to your second platoon, you graduate from new guy to a one cruise wonder which means you might not be a new guy anymore, but you still don't know everything, although you think you might. There was a solid contingent of one cruise wonders in my second platoon at SEAL Team 1. The team had kept a bunch of us together from our previous platoon and then added some of our other one cruise wonders from some of our other platoons. Other platoon chief was actually a senior chief who was a very smart and experienced as was our leading petty officer. We also happened to have an incredibly talented leader as our assistant platoon commander, the Navy midshipman, record-setting quarterback, Alton Lee Grizzard. Not only was he overflowing with natural, natural leadership capability, he had deployed already and taken part in real-world operations in Somalia. So the platoon leadership was very strong, all except for the actual platoon commander himself. He had done a lateral transfer from another occupational specialty in the Navy to become a SEAL. This meant that even though he was a senior lieutenant, he was very inexperienced in the SEAL teams. He had not done a SEAL team workup or deployment yet. He did not have the experience a platoon commander would normally have, and yet he was in charge of the platoon. That alone is not a big deal. The military is set up to work that way. An inexperienced officer is surrounded by solid senior enlisted personnel who give the officer tactical guidance and keep things running smoothly. At least that is the way it is supposed to work. But in this platoon, it wasn't working that way at all. In this particular case, the platoon commander did not want to listen to advice from his senior enlisted leadership or from any of us. Even though he was the least experienced individual in the platoon, besides the new guys, he wanted to make all the decisions. All the plans were his plans. All the decisions were his decisions. He didn't want to listen to anyone. Needless to say, this did not go over very well. Not only did this rub the senior enlisted leadership the wrong way, when the rest of us troops saw that he did not take input, from the senior enlisted leadership, it made us nervous. If he wasn't listening to the advice being offered from the most experienced guys in the platoon, we worried his plans might be suspect. We were right. The plans the platoon commander created and imposed on us were not good, and it showed. We had some issues out in the field. We didn't accomplish our training missions at the level we should have. 
but our subpar performance didn't change the attitude of the platoon commander. When we failed a training mission, he blamed others. He would never recognize or admit that perhaps his plan wasn't the best, or maybe the decisions he made in the field weren't good calls. Looking back, it is obvious that what this officer lacked in experience, he made up with a massive ego. I didn't fully understand this at the time. I just didn't have the experience to recognize what was going on. But it is clear now that he lacked any level of humility whatsoever. So, what do you guys think about that first part? Well, I mean, it, it reminds me of the other book with the, John Maxwell's book, The Five Levels of Leadership, about how the platoon commander, he was really only trying to use his like position to sort of get the leadership, but it wasn't really leadership, mm. right? So he, he didn't really make people feel heard or listened to, and, you know, obviously it didn't go over very well for him. Mm -hmm. That's true. I can see that too. Sir, what did you think when you first read this? Yeah, I just thought of the five letters of leadership, levels of leadership too, mm -hmm. about like, oh, he's using his position just to lead and not actually using his head to actually do stuff. Not using his head to do stuff. Oh, what do you mean, not using head? Not using his head to like actually lead. You know, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, being a good leader. He's just trying to use his position just to get things done his way mm -hmm. and not taking account of others. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's the whole ego thing too or what do you think? Mm -hmm. yeah. You think so? Yeah, the ego. Yeah. Ah, it's tricky, man. <laughs> it starts from insecurities. Yeah. I feel so. like if like people haven't experienced something yet, like what is the harm in asking somebody for help? Because you don't know what you don't know. Mm. It's like if you haven't experienced that same thing, then why... I don't know, put others at risk in a sense if you don't know what's going to happen mm -hmm. or if there's ways or like problems that they've encountered. Like why not seek their advice so that you don't run across the same problem again? Yeah. yeah that's surprising. He was mm -hmm. like, he's the least inexperienced or the most inexperienced, but is doing everything his way. I'm like, mm -hmm. what is wrong with you? But. Okay, so I wrote something down. I'm sorry, it's a little long. No. But, uh, it just kind of reminded me of my first year as like a water polo coach. Mm -hmm. Because, so I had just graduated college in like May. I got hired as uh, an assistant swim coach in like October with Amanda Jimenez. Oh, that's right, at Amanda. Hill. Yeah, Maui. And from after that, they needed a water polo coach, a head coach, but I... All I, I only played three years in high school and that was it. That's all I had. I was very, I was a very mediocre player. <laughs> and, uh, but they needed somebody and they're like, hey, Alan, do you think you could coach this team? And I said, uh, sure. <laughs> and I didn't know anything. So I was like, I was trying to like look things up. I was trying to do more research, but at, it came to a point where I was like, okay, season is about to start. I still don't really know a lot. Who can I go to for help? So one of my, or my high school coach, he was still at Kamehameha. I don't know if he was vice principal, maybe mm. at, um, when I became a coach, but I had asked him for help because I'm like, Coach Dell, I don't know what I'm doing. I only know what 
I had experience when I was being a player, but I don't know how to like condition these girls. Like I didn't even know what plays you were running or like the drills that we did. Can you help me out? She'd come, he would talk story, he'd give me advice. And then I would also kind of ask the girls, the lead are like our leaders of the team. So like Mia Sirwinski, Quinn Shiraishi, Leah Iketa, like I would ask them, like, oh, you know, last year, what are what were some things that you folks felt like when you folks did it, it made you folks become like better players? You know, what did you do for conditioning that you felt like helped with your endurance or your speed? What kind of drills did you guys do that you guys liked? What kind of plays did you guys uh, run? Mm-hmm. Although I'd have some on the back burner that mm-hmm. for my research. <laughs> research. I just, yeah, I just asked yeah. them like, okay, you guys have more experience playing water polo in the now mm-hmm. than I do coaching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like a dinosaur, I felt like, compared to them, even though I think we're only like four years apart at the time. <laughs> I still felt very, like, old. I mean, you know, I'm short, right? So they're all taller than me anyways. And people always thought it was a player anyways. Yeah. But <laughs> um, and then another person that I would ask would be um, Coach O'Brien mm-hmm. that we had on the podcast before because he was such an inspiration to me when I was in high school. You know, we did a lot of strength and conditioning with him as a player. So I was like, well, why not ask for his help too? Like, so we did lots of like box jumps and those lunges up the hills and lots of like sprints. Yeah, good times. Yeah, just to help with the endurance and our strength. But I don't know, I guess to me it's like, maybe it was my own lack of confidence and like my knowledge, but I didn't want that to jeopardize the success of the girls and mm-hmm. like all the hard work that they've put in, especially the seniors, mm-hmm. you know, who have been playing that this would have been their fourth year. Yeah. Like I feel like it wasn't fair to them if I didn't try to do my part and try to reach out to other people mm-hmm. and then we ended up failing, you know, yeah. like miserably. True. So that's yeah. the humility part, right? Because if, if, if you had a big ego, <laughs> well, right? Because uh, the story was the guy seemed to have a big ego, like what Jocko said. And uh, that, that's probably one of the biggest things. If uh, someone thinks they know it all or someone who thinks that they're right or they're always right, that's usually a red flag. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah. you actually asked around. <laughs> like, that's really yeah. good. Like, well, it's way better than. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and I just felt like maybe I was. Well, I was. I know that I am very blessed to have such a strong, like, to have such strong leaders on the team already that I didn't necessarily have to, like, coerce them in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. and and I had that rapport with them because they were some of them were swimmers too. Mm. So I think because they had some trust in me that it was a little bit easier for me to go to them too because we kind of already had that like relationship, I guess, mm-hmm. where they knew I was open. They yeah. knew that I would come talk to them for, I don't know, what their their thoughts. Yeah. And like for me, I feel like because they felt listened to yeah. that it was easier for me as a coach to coach them, I guess, mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's big. And, you know, this is uh, one thing that I was actually taught by Jocko. He had said that if you want to influence others, you have to let others influence you. And so when we listen to people, when we take their advice, 
you know, when we think, oh, you know, that's actually a pretty good idea. Let's do it that way. Then eventually, when we flip the script, hey, you think we should do it X, Y, and Z, then it'll, the, the friction will stop because that's another, that's another section, checking the ego. So that's good. I was by no means a great water polo coach, by no means at all. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. I was not perfect. And there are things that I know now that I wish I had done before mm. to kind of create uh, an even better culture. Mm. But if I could go back. What, what year was this? 2000? 2000. I think that was 2014-15 school year for them. Got it. Dang. <laughs> Are you still in high school? I was a freshman. You're a high freshman school. in high school. Dad. Way to make me feel older, Sorry. <laughs> Dang. Oh yeah, I just—I was thankful that I had such a strong, like, strong support system in the sense, even though I was technically the head coach. Mm -hmm. Like, there were so many other people that I could go to mm -hmm. that could help. That I felt very supported in that sense. Yeah, that's that's the main thing, asking for help. So what would you think you'd do though if you didn't have that support system? What would you know? I have like done? if you were just the head coach and like oh, they think oh you're head coach, you do everything that you have to do. Like, uh. <laughs> I mean I don't know if I would have stayed around as long, mm. for sure, but I mean I would have done the best I can. But I don't think that, and and I think being like a teacher too, I know oh. that building relationships and them feeling heard and knowing that I do care and. Although I was considered the mean coach, as an AKM I'm the strict one, right? Even though I was known as a strict coach, they also knew that I cared really deeply mm. about them. That mm. I think that they were, even though I was harsh on them at times, they knew that it came from a place of like love and care and like respect mm -hmm. instead of just bashing them, mm. you know? <coughs> That's really good. I don't know if I answered your question, but... Makes sense. <laughs> Makes there sense. we go. Makes sense. It went a lot harder for sure. Yeah. All right. Going back into the book. So we're on page 22, gang. Uh, first chapter at the top. We young enlisted guys watched as our senior enlisted leaders did their best to counsel, cajole, influence, and mentor. They spent extra time explaining how things worked. They tried to get him to put his ego in check and let some of them make some of the tactical decisions. Unfortunately, they failed to change him. Months went by and there was no improvement in the platoon commander's behavior. Finally, one late night before an arduous training mission out in the desert, our LPO, the second most senior enlisted man in the platoon, had had enough. He disagreed with the platoon commander's plan and he let him know it. The disagreement escalated into an argument, then into a full-on yelling match, and finally, the platoon commander snapped and took a swing at the LPO. We all jumped in and separated the two, but it was a bad scene. It should be known that there are certainly a fair share of friendly scraps in a healthy SEAL platoon. Verbal jousting often leads to a round of good-natured fisticuffs or perhaps a light-hearted grappling match, but this fight was different. There was no playing around in the situation, and even worse, it was an officer taking a swing at an enlisted man. Over the next few days, our dark mood fell over the platoon. We realized we had had a real problem. Our officer was arrogant and not listening to anyone. That was bad enough, 
But now he had tried to hit our LPO. This was unacceptable. We wouldn't stand for it. The grumblings about the situation turned into a roar and our disorganized complaints became organized. We needed to make a stand. We had some closed door meetings amongst the enlisted men. We consulted our senior chief and LPO and we eventually we decided we would go see our commanding officer and tell him we didn't want to work for our platoon commander. We wanted him gone. This was a mutiny. Now, I don't want to make this sound more dramatic than it was, but according to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is a legal code by which military members must abide, a person who is found guilty of attempted mutiny, mutiny, sedition, or failure to report a mutiny or, or sedition shall be punished by death. And this is what we were doing, revolting against our leader. Of course, this was peacetime and there was zero chance of the situation escalating into a criminal mutiny where it would have taken to a court-martial, but it was a serious situation to have enlisted troops asking to have their platoon commander fired. A couple days later, we got back to the team from the desert training area. Our senior chief talked to the master chief of the command, the senior enlisted man at the SEAL Team 1, and explained the situation. He got us a meeting with the commanding officer of SEAL Team 1. A commanding officer was a highly respected leader. He was down to earth, charismatic, with a great reputation as a tactical operator, a rare reputation for a senior officer to have. When scheduled, the enlisted man of our platoon reported to the commanding officer's office. He called us in and asked us individually to explain the situation. One by one, we told him our ver versions of what we had seen the night the platoon commander tried to hit our LPO, and we detailed the general atmosphere of the platoon. I told him, the platoon commander doesn't really listen to anyone else. It's his way or the highway. The commanding officer listened intently. I thought he was on board with what we were saying, but after the last man had spoken, he looked up and down the line and said, listen up boys, I get that the situation might not be ideal. It sounds like there are some personality conflicts, but this also sounds like a mutiny and we don't allow mutinies in the Navy. So stop it, go back to your platoon, get to work and figure this out, understand? Yes, sir, we all replied. It made sense, we had spoken our minds and we were told to get back in line, we did. Because we had such respect for the commanding officer, we didn't question what he said. He told us to get back in line and we did. We went down to our platoon space and got back to work. The commanding officer had squashed our rebellion. He was right, mutinies are not allowed in the Navy and he wasn't gonna have one at his SEAL team. But it turns out he wasn't going to have a bad, bad platoon commander. Over the next couple of days, the commanding officer consulted with the command master chief, talked more with our platoon senior chief, did a thorough assessment of the platoon commander's leadership shortfalls, and based on that assessment, called our platoon commander into the commander's office and relieved him of his duties as platoon commander. It wasn't a mutiny from the troops. It was a decision from the commanding officer. The platoon commander was removed from his position and removed from SEAL Team 1. This alone might have been good leadership lesson for me as a young SEAL. Arrogance and throwing rank around does not work. But I'm sure if I would have really understood that lesson had it not been for what had happened next. With the old platoon commander fired, we got a new platoon commander. And he was a complete opposite of his predecessor. 
Everyone in the SEAL teams had heard about our new platoon commander. He went by the initials, but the phonetic alphabet, Delta Charlie. Delta Charlie had an incredible reputation as an officer and an enlisted man. He had started his career as an enlisted man and risen through the ranks all the way to senior chief, the second from the top enlisted rank in the Navy, just beneath master chief. He had then earned his commission and became an officer in his career. He had been assigned to every job a SEAL could have. He had initially been at the old underwater demolition team before they were decommissioned and turning to SEAL teams. He had been a plank owner at Richard Mark, Mark Marcinko SEAL team. He was stationed at a regular SEAL team, the special boat team, served as an instructor at BUDS, and even the SEAL delivery vehicle team, home of Naval Special Warfare Command's many submarines. On top of all that, he had combat experience. He had participated in the invasion of Granada as a member of the element task with taking control of the country's main radial tower. We didn't know much about that operation, but we knew one thing. It was real, and none of us had done anything real. And so with that, what do you guys think about what we just read about just the whole like him getting kicked out and getting fired? Well, I mean... So the person that was above him, right, that actually got the person fired, mm -hmm. like he knew how serious an actual mutiny would have been. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he just, you know, swept their concerns under the rug and kept going. Like he would actually listen to them. Mm -hmm. um, and because they respected him, yeah. they're like, well, okay, he told us to get back to work. So let's go, mm -hmm. you know, but also like they felt heard they were they were respected they respect him and because he kind of followed through with what they had said i feel like he carried even more mm. like respect mm -hmm. because <clears throat> they got the bad platoon commander yeah fired. yeah yeah i agree mm. what do you think serene uh I was just thinking that's what he deserves, but, but he deserves. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. yeah, I mean, I like the way how the higher guy, like, I thought he would just sweep it on the rug as well, but he actually, as a good leader, he actually listened and then took initiative and talked to all the other people mm. and then actually got evidence. So it doesn't affect his team, but also gets the job done of firing the, mm -hmm. the bad officer. So. What about you, Jess? Well, I thought it was a good thing. And uh, the one thing that I really caught was he said that this alone might have been good leadership as a young SEAL. Arrogance and throwing rank around doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And he said that he's not sure if he would have really understood that lesson had it not been for what happened next. So, like, yeah, you, you can compare, basically. Yeah, you can contrast, right? you yeah. know. And so this is the contrast he's talking about. Page 26, second paragraph. As I heard about Delta Charlie taking over, I was excited but also intimidated. After all, as a one cruise wonder, I thought I had some knowledge, but I didn't think that knowledge would stack up against that possessed by someone like Delta Charlie, who had infinitely more experience than I or anyone else in the platoon had. I also imagined that Delta Charlie was assigned this platoon to straighten us out, 
to ensure this young group of mutineers was put in its place. I figured we were in some we were in for some stern leadership and strict control after our rebellion. I braced for impact. Then I met Delta Charlie for the first time. He was not what I had expected at all. He was smaller than I had imagined, standing about five foot seven or so, and had a fairly lean build, probably weighing in at around 165 pounds, give or take. He also had a relaxed way about him. He seemed very calm, usually carrying a half smile on his face. When he spoke to us for the first time, he said, I'm looking forward to working with all of you. That was the first indicator of what kind of leader Delta Charlie was going to be. It was subtle, but I noticed it. He didn't say, I'm looking forward to leading you, or I'm glad to be taking over this platoon, or I run a tight ship, or even I'm honored to be taking over as your commander. Instead, he said he was looking forward to working with all of us. His use of the word with standing in stark contrast to what we had been hearing from the old platoon commander who had separated himself from us in his speech. But Delta Charlie was different. He indicated not that he was above us, above us or separate from us, but that he was one of us. And I mean, what do you guys think? Because that's that was a big thing for me too. When I when I first read that, I was like, dang, like. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. As soon as he said, uh, you know, he's looking forward to working with all of you. That's much different than saying, uh, like the examples, I'm glad to be taken over or, you know, I run a tight ship, so be prepared or, you know, like, what, what do you guys think about that couple of chapters? Serene. Serene. There you go. I'm like, <laughs> You're thinking? I, don't know. I just think language is just super important. <clears throat> just like different like words that we use. I mean, including like tonality right that the way that we say something and um the particular vocabulary that we choose to use mm -hmm. even if it's i guess even if we don't necessarily choose it it's just kind of like a subconscious <coughs> choice that it can influence how people react to it yep and how they feel about you and what you had said mm -hmm. based on what you say and how you say it how you say it yeah that's true yeah, how you say it is so important because in communication, words are only about 10% of the impact. About 40-50% is body language and 40-50% is tonality. So, yeah, I mean, if it sounds like, well, I'm looking forward to working with you guys. That, that just sounds like really sarcastic and, well, I'm glad to be here. You know, like that, like, that just sounds really bad. And even though the words are good the facial expression body language and tonality just throw it off so that's actually a really good point now tonality yeah what about you serene back to serene oh no oh no wait yeah. <laughs> no yeah i agree it's like the way you say stuff really impacts what you say i mean but he did say it was very subtle but i noticed it so you think i don't know i don't know <laughs> mm -hmm. I was just thinking that like it was very subtle but he only noticed it why or not he only noticed it but he noticed it so I don't know mm -hmm. I think it's gonna Jocko's part too right being really observant in mm -hmm. like body language and words and the tonality and like picking up on those small things you know who I notice is like that Matt 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 is very observant and like not, not that he like he doesn't like creepily stare at anyone but it's just like <laughs> 
he you know sits back a little bit more and he really takes the time to observe people and mm. how they're communicating with yeah, others. Although what he says you know, sometimes sounds sarcastic, yeah. un, un, not intentionally, but um, he is really observant in that way. It was like there's some things that he had noticed, maybe like about our coworkers or you know our bosses or wh- wherever we are, even here at the gym, mm-hmm. right? And there's lots of things that he notices that I don't always pick up on. So it's really interesting on how observant he is. Mm. It's a good quality. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good quality. So, Matt Chong, watch this. <laughs> All right, so back back into page 27, paragraph three. One of the biggest differences between Delta Charlie and his predecessor was that Delta Charlie had a massive amount of experience, while the former platoon commander had next to none. Like the rest of the new guys, Delta Charlie had done everything the former platoon commander had done nothing. Since Delta Charlie had so much experience, I expected him to tell us exactly how to do everything. After all, that is what the old platoon commander had done, despite his lack of experience and knowledge. The former platoon commander had always come up with his plan, his own plan, told us how he wanted to execute it, and expected us to execute it based on those specific orders. So I found it quite shocking, as did the rest of the enlisted men in the platoon, that Delta Charlie didn't order us around at all. He didn't come up with his own plans for everything. He didn't tell us how he wanted us to do things. He executed classic decentralized command. He told us what he needed to get done and then told us to go figure it out how we wanted to do it. And when I say us, I am not only talking about the senior enlisted personnel. I am talking about us junior enlisted personnel as well. He would tell me, or a few of the other junior guys, hey, here is a mission for tonight. Figure out how you, th- how you think we should do it and let me know. And so that's the contrast right there. Mm-hmm. And, and that really got to me because... When I first read that, I would assume the same thing as well, because, you know, this guy, Delta Charlie, has so much experience in, you know, actual live experience in war and all these things that my first thought was, oh, yeah, he's going to tell them exactly how to do things and what to do and little like small steps like do this, do it this way, do it that way. And when he didn't do that, when I was reading this the first time, I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, wow. And he seemed like the, I'm just from reading this, he seemed like a really humble guy. And uh, just like how he would allow the other guys, even the junior guys to figure out a plan. I thought that was really commendable. And so I was wondering, what do you guys think about that uh, couple paragraphs? <laughs> okay, I go. <laughs> Um, okay, so I, I wrote some notes on it. I just said, because this new platoon commander had set the tone that they'd be working together and not just telling them what to do, they had more respect for him. You know, and yeah. they really wanted to, they were really eager to do a good job mm. because he gave them that like freedom, in a sense, to come up with their own plan, which means that they ha- will have more ownership and there's more buy-in. So there's, mm. they're more willing to do a good job and see it through mm-hmm. instead of just being told what to do 
and then be like, eh, well, whatever. Yeah. Like they actually wanted to do a good job because they respected him so much. Mm-hmm. And and it came what started with him, the platoon commander and his simple language mm-hmm. but making them feel more respected and together kind of gave power yeah. to the, yeah to the lower ranking yeah that that's what really got me too because he said that when i say us i am not only talking about the senior enlisted so he allowed even the new guys the junior guys uh to come up with plans and that's actually really respectable that he did that well, to be honest, it reminds me of you sometimes, you know, because like, okay, so I've been a coach here for what, almost four years now, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like you do a pretty good job at, you know, making us feel included. And though you may give us a task that pushes us outside of our like comfort zone, you know, or like there's, you know, something coming up and we have like an oh, no. idea or something and you're like, oh, okay, can you, you know, can you help me with that? Can you go execute it? And we're just like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at first, that's to. always the reaction, right? Like, oh gosh. Um, but, you know, because you kind of, you, you give us that and you still give support throughout. It's not like, okay, bye, like yeah. go do it. Yeah. I'm, let me know when you're done. It's more so like you do really gentle, like check-ins so that we still know that we're supported by you and that if something is brought up that you're kind of concerned about, I, we're not, we don't really get defensive, I feel like, because you bring it up really like tactfully and because you normally give us that freedom and you normally let us, you know, execute it however we feel like is the way to execute it when something Mm -hmm. does get brought up that you're concerned about then we're i feel like we're more likely to like stop and listen be like and like rethink Mm -hmm. what that part is because you normally don't say anything you know Mm -hmm. in in that sense yeah that's true i don't know it reminded me of you when i was reading this again i just thought uh when you said the support system to like also like a good leader would also be there along the way. He didn't just like abandon them, like, yeah. oh, do your thing. I'm just gonna relax like later. But I think that's like a good thing to know <laughs> that you have a support system and that trust. So yeah. I like that too. I think we talked about before like how there's problem spotters, right? Yep. There's problem solvers mm-hmm. and then there's solution yeah, yeah. managers. Like because you're not just a problem spotter and then just be like, well here's a problem, you guys go solve it, goodbye. Like there are times where I mean, there are times where you want us, you gently guide us to <laughs> to solve our own problems. But you also offer up solutions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if it's something that only you can do, then you also execute that solution. Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. So I also feel like because you we have the you as an example, mm-hmm. like we ourselves don't also just like as a team, we also don't just spot the problem and then expect you to solve it. Mm-hmm. I think because you guide us in that way too, it kind of helps us also think of solutions mm-hmm. be, or be the problem solvers. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes still with your guidance, which is fine, like help us execute the solution or idea that we came up with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not just complaining basically being the problem spotters but we're actually trying to figure out ways on how to solve the problem and execute on it mm-hmm. yeah i think that's uh that's something what i really am thankful for is um 
Yeah, everyone for the most part, uh, if they see something on the ground or if they see something with a member or something, um, they'll try to solve it real quick. Like, oh, okay, here, here's a variation that you can do. And uh, like, that's something that uh, I'm really thankful for. So. Well, it's because of your examples. But it's also, I know sometimes it's scary too when, you know, when someone says, hey, here's the project. Uh, can you let me know how you want to get it done, Serene? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'll be like, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Serene, here's the podcast. Can you figure out how you want to do it? Got it. Uh, let me know if I can support anyway. Anxiety levels go yeah, from here to like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> but it's good because it's like that growth kind of thing, right? It's like when you, you know, first time you like exercise, your body hurts and it's like, oh. And then after a while, it's like, oh, this actually feels pretty good. Yeah. It's like muscle memory in a sense. Muscle memory. Yep. All right. Back into page 28 <clears throat> second paragraph second sentence third sentence once we had one we would well once we had a plan we would present it to delta charlie inevitably he would find some mistakes in it in which he would point out to us i was always impressed that he could spend that we could spend four or five hours pouring over the presumptive operation staring at the map discussing and poking holes in our ideas and when we would finally present the plan to delta charlie he would quickly assess it and point out a few problems it was amazing he seemed like a tactical genius but what i later what i realized later was that he was detached from the planning process so he could see it from altitude and easily see where the holes were this is the exact opposite thing from what would happen from our former platoon commander who would come up with a plan on his own and then force it down upon us. When that happened, we were the ones seeing the holes in his plan and we couldn't fathom how he could come up with such a horrible one. On top of that, when Delta Charlie would allow us to come up with the plan, we would have complete ownership of it. Of course, of course we did. It was our plan. He didn't need to convince us to buy into it. We had already bought in. And when we would go into the field to execute the plan, since it was our plan, we were completely committed to making a success. When we would hit an obstacle, we would find a way around it, over it, or through it. We would stop at nothing to execute the plan and accomplish the mission. That attitude was totally contrary to how we felt about the former platoon commander's plan. They were his plan, not ours. So we didn't have ownership of them. And it was a struggle for him to get us to buy into them. After all, we're all humans with our own ideas, and because of our egos, we often think our ideas are the best. When he imposed a plan on us, we would automatically think of how much better our plan would be, and we kept that in the back of our heads, especially when we went into the field. When we hit an obstacle, instead of trying to figure out a way to overcome it, we simply thought, the platoon commander didn't think of this, did he? His plan is awful. My plan would have been so much better. Without everyone buying into the plan, taking ownership and making every possible effort to ensure it was carried out and the mission accomplished, there was a good chance that it would fail. Dang. Discuss. You know, that really made me think about when I had separate plans, um, like a work environment where there was a typical manual how to sell food. So I was working at Genki Sushi 
And there was a way where there was three supervisors and then the general manager. And so one of the supervisors wanted me to follow the sales SOP to the T and which is wonderful, right? Cause it works for a reason, but I wasn't getting any results following the SOP. And you know, she would just tell me, you know, you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. You got to say these words, you have to come up with this. You got to do that. You have to make sure you do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, so much information, 18 years old. I, I couldn't, you know, remember all of it. And then my GM stepped in and she was like, what's wrong? You know, are you okay? Because you normally seem like a very talkative, positive guy and you're not really uh, talking about her special anymore. And so I explained to her what was going on. And she had said, well, how do you think we should, how, what, what do you think you could do to sell more of the special? And I said, well, I think if I had a sampler and so, you know, if I could eat it in front of them and maybe have them taste it, I, 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 mean, I can guarantee you I'll get that plate money back and then some. And she was like, okay, well, okay. You heard that, you heard that, uh, I'm not gonna use it now. Uh, you heard that guy right, right in the back, the cook. He was like, what, oh, we're gonna make a free one? He's like, yeah, he wants to just try it out. So just make one roll. What's the worst thing that can happen? Boom. And so I took it out and because it was my plan, I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> I went out, I would go into the, the, the section. It's the fourth section in the Kahului one. And I remember I would eat it right in front of them. Mm. By the way, this is our special. It's so good. This is a spicy tuna roll. Gosh, so you're gonna, I just taste the, the spiciness with the fried shrimp crispy. And so have you guys ever tried this before? Oh, by the way, I'm Justin, you know, like uh, I'm here to help you guys. So have you guys tried this special before? You guys like spicy tuna? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You guys like fried shrimp? Yeah. Okay. Is it okay if I get you guys maybe just one, try it out? Yeah. Okay. And then as I started doing it, I got better and better and better because it was my plan. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like it, it was just night and day. And I end up selling the most in the entire floor actually combined. I remember selling one night, almost like 20 something. And the rest of the team only sold like 10 together. So I knew that was the first time I thought, wow, when we're allowed to do it our way, and I remember she did say that, okay, well, you can't go off the rails and give like five free samplers and, you know, you got to make sure you don't. And, and then she, you know, she set some parameters around me, but for the most part, it was still my idea, even though she said, okay, these are some things you cannot do, but you know, just, just do it, do what you want to do. And she, when I, when I came back with results, she was like, oh my gosh, you just sold like, this, this is crazy. If we keep this up, we hit our bonus, boom. And it made me just think of that. And was wondering, what did you guys think about the last uh, few paragraphs? Uh, well, I mean, it goes back to the buy-in, right? And them kind of taking ownership and mm -hmm. being more willing to mm -hmm. solve the problems that come come up because it's their plan, yeah. yeah. Right, and they want to make sure that their plan works. Mm -hmm. So they're going to do what they can to make their plan work. To make the plan work. And to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> Honestly, as a leader, like he actually what stepped back and like he, what he do like. You can see he, like the bigger picture. Yeah, he was yeah. looking at the bigger picture, and I think that's so important because like, if you're so involved in the plan and it's like oh this 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 and there's so much things in your head, but like, and then like, once you don't like, you don't 
see it as well but once you have like another perspective seeing the big picture it's like so much better so i think yeah support system but then also being involved in the plan i think that's true great yeah i was wondering Mm -hmm. it's like if he didn't have this delta charlie but kept having that other platoon guy the whole time or the officer Mm -hmm. the whole time would he be like a different like leader would he not be able to do this anymore like this whole broken stuff i feel like it wouldn't have if he didn't have that guy it wouldn't be the same Jocko that it is now that mm. he is now. Yeah. Because it made such a deep like impression on him on what leadership looks like. Yes. And how maybe he wanted to strive to be. Yeah. That I don't know. I don't know if he would have be reading this book. I know. You know I don't like, think he would have wrote the book and done what he does. The, the, I mean, like, unless he came across somebody later on. But. Yeah. I mean, he did have good like good leaders around him, but like, I guess someone who doesn't, if it wasn't someone directly after leading him. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was wondering. So I was just meant to be this completely opposite guy. So, all right. We're almost there again. So going back into page 29, bottom chapter. There was another thing Delta Charlie did that made an impression on me. He took out the trash. This was no big deal. And I likely wouldn't have thought too much about it except for the fact that I never saw the former platoon commander do it. You see, the platoon office, or as it's called, SEAL teams, the platoon hut, they need to be cleaned every day. This assignment usually goes to the new guys. At the end of every day, the new guys sweep up, dust off, and take out the trash. Cleaning is a menial but necessary task, and it keeps the new guys humble. As a one cruise wonder, I felt like I was way above cleaning up. I didn't need to do that anymore. And the higher up you went in the chain of command, it seemed to me the more distance there was from the menial task of cleaning up. Unless you were dealt to Charlie. At the end of each day, he would take out the trash, maybe run a broom through the space. It was no big deal. It took him less than two minutes to push the broom, then consolidate the trash from the two or three garbage cans in the platoon space, take them outside and throw them in a dumpster. But those two minutes left a mark on me. This was a tangible and physical action that represented pure humility. Delta Charlie was the most senior man in the platoon. He also had the most experience. But there he was, taking out the garbage. And yet I was too good to do it? We only had to see that a couple of times before the other lower enlisted guys and I started preemptively taking out the trash and cleaning the space so Delta Charlie didn't have to. We did it out of respect. Respect that Delta Charlie didn't demand, but earned. The former platoon commander, on the other hand, had eschewed any kind of menial labor. It was below him. He was the almighty platoon commander, the officer in charge. He wasn't going to take out the garbage. And when he acted that way, well, we weren't going to take out his garbage either. None of the lower enlisted guys did anything to help him out. He was on his own. And while Delta Charlie was a phenomenal tactician, an incredible planner, and a gifted operator. It was his humility, more than anything else, that drove the platoon to want to do a good job for him. We didn't want to let him down. We didn't want to disappoint him in any way. And we certainly didn't want to make him look anything less than perfect to our commanding officer. So we worked as hard as we could in everything we did. Everything. And this dedication showed in the way the platoon performed. 
It was the best platoon I was ever a part of. Dang. What did you guys say? I in my book here that said, you will never be too good to take out the trash. <laughs> I like that. I mean, it's just yeah, true, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that one made a, this one made a, big one because i could visually see in my head like a boss or like a platoon commander or someone sweeping or cleaning and this makes me remember my uh jiu-jitsu coach uh coach keith the molly grappling academy when i was 16 years old and i walked into his academy um he was the coach he was the owner and out of like 20 out of 20 of us you know he was the highest rank and so when he would fill up the mop bucket, he would grab the broom or the mop and start mopping. Um, and he never demanded any of us lower or new guys to help him. He would just start doing it. And after watching it a couple of times, I, I was just like, oh, uh, I just had it so like, wow, because I always thought the kids do all the menial work or the lower guys do the menial work or you know, I always thought that and, and seeing the owner or the, the strongest guy or in martial arts, the, the top guy doing all of this, it was a, like what Jocko said, it's a tangible experience that was like burned into my brain at 16. Like, wow, you, this is the humility in, uh, in this guy that uh, he's mopping. And, and then af- actually after a while, I would start. Uh, someone someone or myself would start filling up the mop bucket for him like you know what you go talk to that new guy uh you know he just signed up we'll we'll go we'll go mop here give me the broom give me the mop and it was such a crazy thing and we just did it because we respected the guy so much and my coach and i was just like wow this is crazy like he never demanded hey you guys clean up and you know you guys need to do this it was just like he would start doing it and i'm like oh dang like I just there was just some sort of feeling like I gotta help this guy, and it was such a unique culture. And uh, I'm just so blessed to have actually seen that example uh, at such a young age, at 16 in high school. And so this was a great story, made me remind me of uh, that experience. But I'm wondering what uh, what came to mind when you guys read this. I just thought it was funny how like oh cleaning up is such a such a huge impact because like all oh, the bigger guys can't shouldn't do that it's not mm-hmm. their thing but like such a small thing can make such a huge impact because like it's literally just two minutes taking out the garbage but like someone's so high ranked it's like oh my god what are you doing don't do that but i think that's just humility or humbleness yeah, like mm-hmm. just because you have a high rank doesn't mean that you have to act all high maka maka you know? yeah yeah mm-hmm. like you can still help out, you can still clean, you can still be the example mm-hmm. of what um, it should look like. And then, you know, people oh. will follow suit. It makes me kind of think of, um, so before the whole COVID thing, mm-hmm. but there were um, other members that would want to, they would see, see us cleaning up mm-hmm. and they would want to help out too, mm-hmm. you know, to help us out so yeah. that we could turn the class faster. But I don't know. That's just kind of what reminded me of, and that we have really great members we here. Do. The jam, our fit jam. <laughs> we're really, we're really fortunate to uh, have you know a great member base or fit fam or our team, our team, and uh, everybody that's supporting, even you know from a distance like this. So, dang. And last thing, we're gonna last couple paragraphs are gonna go down. 
Uh, we're gonna just go down to page 31. The second, I guess, second paragraph. That platoon changed the course of my life and Delta Charlie had an immense impact on me because when you are a young SEAL in a SEAL platoon, that SEAL platoon is your whole world. In that platoon, under the original platoon commander, our world was miserable. But when Delta Charlie came in and took over, almost instantly our whole world was good. That was one of the strongest displays of the impact of leadership I had ever seen. I thought at the time, Delta Charlie just made the world good for this whole platoon. And one day, if I can, I'm going to try to make the world good for 16 SEALs in a platoon. And it was that thought right there that started me on the path to becoming an officer. The core of what Delta Charlie taught me was the importance of humility. He had all the experience and all that knowledge and the rank and the position. He had every reason to elevate himself above us, every reason to look down, on, look down, every reason to act as if he were better than everyone else. But he never looked down on any of us at all. The fact that he didn't is what made us respect him and want to truly want to follow him. I still try to follow his example to this day. Oh my gosh. Which is kind of reiterates, right? Uh, like, right there. Jocko wouldn't be, I feel like Jocko wouldn't be Jocko without Delta Charlie. Yeah. Right? It set him I on agree. this path to, you know, reading all these books and influencing yeah. all the people that he's met and mm -hmm. the business that he has now. So true. Good job, Delta Charlie. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how uh, just tasks like that like his his platoon commander had such an impact in his uh i think i can't remember if he said it was early teens 19 or early 20s and because he always brings up that story that the the whole sweeping and cleaning up and how he worded that he's that he's looking forward to working with them and he always still brings that up to this day um i wonder I wonder if we actually know who that is, if he brought it up somewhere publicly. But I mean, if not, so that's just one part of the book. We're going to be diving deep. We're going to be doing multiple parts of this book. And dang, guys, if you guys have any questions, you know, we're going to be doing future Q&A podcasts as well. And Serene, Alan, thank you guys for jumping on the podcast. And I look forward to completing this book together, gang. Go get the book. Yeah, go support Leadership Strategies and Tactics, Jocko Willink. See how many like, post-its I don't have. I know. Oh, oh, look at the post-its, yeah. Else. Well, mine are small. Post-its, yeah. Mine's just like, <laughs> just bulging. Got it. Yeah, thank you guys for listening to episode 25. Please like, comment, subscribe, share this with your friends, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Take care. Bye. Bye.